Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Thank you so much for reading, Gretchen. Uh, to begin our time today, I do have a question for you, and that is, how many pairs of shoes do you own right now? How many pairs of shoes do you own right now? I see nervous glances, sideways glances. If I had to answer that question, immediately I want to ask like a clarifying question that is like, it depends, right? It depends on how are we going to count these shoes? Like what, what technically counts? as a pair of shoes. So I certainly have these shoes and I have a couple others that I wear. Uh, I have golf shoes. I have running shoes. I have old running shoes. I have older running shoes. You'll notice a pattern there. Uh, I have lawn mowing shoes. I have older lawn mowing shoes. I have flip-flops. I have beach flip-flops. I have uncomfortable flip-flops that are also beach flip-flops. I have snow boots. And I think I may have the least amount of shoes of anybody in my family if I tell you the truth about it, not throwing anybody under the bus there, but my first thought when I think of all the shoes that I have is I don't have that many. And then when I start counting, I go, no, I actually, actually have a lot of, I have a lot of shoes and we can smile and, and please don't try to spend the whole time counting how many you have. Just save that for this afternoon. Um, Ephesians 6.15 though, talks about a different kind of footwear. It draws our attention to what's going on spiritually. The picture in Ephesians 6 is a picture of head to toe being equipped, ready for battle. From the helmet to the very shoes we wear, and, and there are spiritual analogies going on. It's because we are in a battle, and life is a battleground. That's been our series because we face spiritual enemies. We've said repeatedly, even though we face those spiritual enemies, Jesus is 100% on our side in this battle if we are in Christ. He is for us. He's equipped us from head to toe. It's as if he has said, you're going out into a battle, and if you're going to be strong, and if you're going to stand firm, you're going to need some things. So here, here's some armor. It's as if in this passage he's saying, these shoes will help you be ready, will help you be ready to advance the good news of peace. The past two weeks, we've talked about different pieces of the armor. We've talked about truth, and we've talked about righteousness, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, truth and righteousness, big subjects, and very, very important things as it, as it relates to how do you live the Christian life. Those things are going to be absolutely critical. Truth, what's accurate, what's right. 
What won't lead you astray? What will never deceive you? Truth. And righteousness. Righteousness, that, that which meets the standard, that which is morally right, that which is a righteous standard for you to live by and righteousness you've received. We're talking about what the Lord provides his children, whether it's truth or righteousness, or even today as we talk about peace, what the Lord doesn't give us is like a bunch of code language and telling, tells us to figure it out. He actually, he actually gives us some of these qualities, righteousness and truth. But today we're moving on to another piece of that armor, and that is to think of peace as part of this armor. The ESV, which is the one that was read out of earlier, says this in Ephesians 6.15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Other translations say it very similarly. So if you read out of the New Living Translation, it would say, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. Or if you were to read out of the NIV, it says, your feet need to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's a pretty clear picture. And I want us to start our time here a little bit by looking at just the overall subject of peace, a high-level look at that in the, in the Bible. And then I want us to move through actually how do we put, like put on shoes, how do we put on shoes that are the readiness of the gospel of peace? What does that mean? Are there maybe some handholds we can get on how we would actually do that. First, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about peace? Another, another big, big subject in scripture is the subject of peace. Certainly, we think of it as the absence of war, the absence of friction, the absence of hostility. We all know the world would be a better place if there was more peace. That's what we all want. That's what we all desire. But that isn't our world. We want a world without tension, without enemies, without hostility, but that is not our world. Peace seems so elusive in this world. I'm not just talking about us in this room. I'm talking about decades and decades and centuries and centuries. I'm talking about not just in uh, one little part of North America, but all over the world. Why is peace so elusive? And we all might have our theories as to why it might be so elusive. But the Bible answers that question, and it doesn't pull any punches when it comes to explaining why it is that peace seems so elusive. And it tells a story that since humans turn their back on God right there in the Garden of Eden, which by the way, amazingly, I mean, it happens just paragraphs, paragraphs into God's word. Adam and Eve are already turning their back on God. And since that time, History is going to record, this is not a world of peace. That is because a lasting peace, a true peace, only comes as we put ourselves under the rule, as we submit to God's authority. That is the only place that peace comes. It's a consistent message of Scripture. Peace is only going to come as we put ourselves, as we line ourselves up under the rule of God, as we submit to Him. Peace comes when God's authority is welcomed in this world, not rejected, which makes a lot of sense because Scripture tells us that God created everything, absolutely everything. He designed our world. He designed 
our lives to work in a certain way. And that's always not for our harm, but for our good. So if he designed it to work this way, then when there is submission lining up under the rule of God, there will be peace. Peace will be found when we say, exactly as our Lord taught us to say, when we say, your will be done, not mine. Your kingdom come, not mine. Peace will flourish under that. When we say you are in charge and we long, we long, we long for the day when everyone everywhere wants your will to be done, that is peace. But we don't see it because we continually, we continually push against God's rule. We continually say there's a way that seems right to me. And I think I'm going to go down that path because you know what? It feels right. I'm going to do it regardless of what God says. And every time we do that, whether it be individually or collectively as a culture, Every time we do that, peace is broken. Peace is broken. We have broken, and we continually break the peace. The Bible says that this broken relationship with God, this broken peace, is actually a bigger deal than we may be tempted to believe. You might have gone all week long. We might have gone all week long without thinking, I wonder if everything is okay between me and God. That may actually not have been a very big thought in your mind this week. But Scripture certainly tells us it should have been. One of the signs that it is very, very serious that we have broken the peace in our relationship with God, which definitely has consequences in our relationship with each other. One of the signs that we know even early in Scripture that it is a major thing that that peace has been broken is the system of offerings. They're called peace offerings that you find in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then carrying out through the rest of the Old Testament. These offerings give us a little window into how seriously God takes it, how seriously it is being communicated that Things are not okay. When you read Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, you are reading, I mean, they are bloody books because they talk about sacrifices. The blood of animals is shed in those, in those pages of Scripture, and the Bible does not treat that flippantly because these animals are created by God. I mean, this is God's design for them. And so it is no small thing when Restoring peace with God is necessary. It is, it's costly in every animal sacrifice that we read about. Every offering intensifies the understanding that no, things are not okay. It's not okay. Things are broken and yet another reminder that death comes because this is so broken. What humans are, what we never can do is point to God and go, well, it's your fault. No, it is totally 100% us. The offerings occur because there needed to be recognition that peace with God has been broken, relationships with him broken, relationships with each other broken, and that relationship needs to be repaired. I wonder if we have that deep appreciation of what it means that we have broken that relationship. I don't know that we always appreciate it, but it cheapens how broken it is when we pretend that it doesn't take much to fix it. I know a lot of you really well. 
Some of you I've yet to meet, and some of you I don't know as well as I'd like to. But I do wonder if we would imagine, like, we're very, very close. Imagine we have a, a very, very good friendship. And imagine if I did something to hurt you. If I did something to damage that trust, damage our relationship. And imagine if you feel so hurt and betrayed and it, it wasn't right. And if I did that to you, imagine if I say, well, I'll tell you what we could do. You know, Wawa is just down the street. Let's go. I'll get you a gift card and I'll buy you a smoothie and we'll just call it square. Why, why, don't, we, why don't we do that? that? That'll fix it. Like that'll repair it in my, in my mind. And you go that... We all know it doesn't work quite like that when we've been hurt. You can't throw a gift card, throw a few bucks at something. I mean, even a five-year-old knows it doesn't work like that when the brokenness of the relationship is so deep. We know that. We know that. Doesn't even real-life history teach us some things are so broken, it's hard to imagine like there being a reconciliation or a restoration without the cost of life. So when you have systems so evil in the world, I mean, I've read all sorts of pages of World War II history and you get, like it's awful reading about the carnage and the loss of life. And yet what you also recognize is I'm not sure there is any other way that evil that deep in the world could be, could be like put out. Like it seems natural, it seems understandable that in a broken world, it's going to take something significant for peace to be restored. In ancient times, you can imagine, I mean, every sacrifice that's made is a reminder. Yes, God cares, and yes, God loves, and yes, things are really broken. And then there are these prophets and priests, so you can read certainly a good portion of Scripture, and you read name after name of prophets, and they are also telling the story that things are not okay in our relationship with God. They're reminding God's people, it's not okay. You're trying to do life outside of submission, lining up under God's authority. And when you do that, it, it's broken, it's messed up. This is not going to go well. And a reminder after reminder, but, but often when someone accuses me, when someone puts me on the spot, when someone makes, uh, you know, says something against me, what I first am inclined to do is probably what you also are first inclined to do, and that's defend ourselves or to deflect or say, like, wait a minute, you're making way too much out of that. Or frankly, I've noticed you have some problems. I mean, this is our gut reflex. And when the prophets would begin to point to the people of Israel and say, it is not okay. How we're living, how we're living as a culture is not okay. When, when God would begin to point those things out, it would almost be like God's people would say, yeah, I don't have to listen to this. It's almost as if they're listening and a song comes on on a playlist and they go, skip, I don't, I don't need this. I'll listen to the next thing if I want to listen to it. Even to the point where false prophets, it says in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 6 and Jeremiah 8 and Ezekiel 13, there would be false prophets that would come and they would say, 
to God's people, everything's okay. There's peace. There's peace. And Jeremiah and Ezekiel said, you know, it's one of the worst things imaginable, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace, when God's not okay with how things are going. The false prophets would, would say, you know, God is totally okay, and you've had a string of bad luck, but God's okay. Your greed, your arrogance, your pride, you're not taking care of the vulnerable, you're sinning sexually, but it's peace. I mean, God's, God's fine. We don't do anybody any favors when we pretend there is some sort of peace shortcut as if like, it's just not that big of a deal if someone is inspecting a levy and they know that levy is compromised and they know the water could break and just ruin everything downstream. We don't count it like helpful when they just kind of turn the other way. If a teacher knows like there's visible marks on a child and they know something's not right, this, this child is being abused, it helps no one. We don't trust someone who kind of turns the other way and goes, I'm just not going to say anything. I don't want to rock the boat here. And we don't think it's to anybody's benefit when a doctor knows something is wrong but kind of, I, I don't want to hurt their feelings today. I mean, not, none of that, none of that like goes with, like if you are entrusted with seeing something and, and you know something is not okay, it doesn't help at all to try to bypass the truth. We need to know the truth. And the truth is that peace being broken with God is a disaster for all of us. It's a disaster. Which all of that would be like bad news. But yet when Paul tells us to put on the armor, one thing he's saying is when you put on the readiness of the gospel of peace, it's the readiness of not bad news, but good news. So, I mean, I've given lots of bad news of a broken world. But where, did the, where does the good news come in, even as we face up to the truth? Good news comes in in the fact that we are met with grace. And a lot of Christians have found the word, like the best adjective in front of grace would be Amazing amazing grace because we're not just left with God telling us you've really got yourself in a bad situation I can't believe you did that but actually as you read the prophets in the Bible as they are saying things are not okay as they're saying peace is broken like your relationship with God is broken you're not living in line with him and look at the chaos that's coming in our world in your world they also have another track. They're not only talking about the brokenness of peace that, that has just destroyed and wrecked everything. They're also talking about a person coming. They begin to point to promises of peace. So one of those is in Isaiah 9, and we, we hear it and we actually sing it some at Christmas time. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And this one coming, this child that will be born, he will be called the Prince of Peace. He will bring peace. Where it's been broken, there is one coming who's going to be a servant, who's going to be the Messiah, and he will bring peace. Isaiah 52 is actually, I think, the very passage that Paul draws upon to give us this piece of armor. Isaiah 52, 7 says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness 
who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Person with beautiful feet, beautiful feet because they have an announcement of peace, real peace, not fake peace, not, not false peace, but because a Messiah is coming who will, who will sacrifice his life in Isaiah 53 and then bring salvation, bring God's rule to people. It is good news. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, when Jesus arrives on the scene, there's a heavenly host that say, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. Peace, goodwill toward all, all of humanity, toward men and toward women. Jesus, the one who brought peace. Jesus, the one who completely submitted to the Father 100% of the time. The person who brought God's rule and God's authority to this world. Jesus, the one who, in the most violent act that I can think of in human history, went to the cross even there, submissive to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. And he made peace for us despite our rebellion, despite our, like, really not, not asking for it, knowing we need it, but not asking for it. He makes peace. He enables us to have peace with God through him. Jesus mediates peace. So no, no longer do we need the picture or the symbol of an animal being slain to tell us like things are not okay. We actually don't have symbols. We have the reality, Jesus' body broken for us, Jesus' blood shed for us. Jesus dying, rising again, showing to the world he is ruling, he is Lord, and every human is to bow, every knee bow, every tongue should confess that he is Lord. He ascends to the Father, sends his spirit to begin the work that he started, and will come back again one day bringing in new heavens and new earth. Jesus brought peace. I think this is why some of what Paul was getting at, even before he goes through the whole picture of the armor that we're supposed to wear, Paul reminds us that there is this announcement that comes of peace. We're not left estranged from God, no hostility with God, but there's something that's happened in Ephesians 2.13. So this very book, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ, by the sacrifice of Christ. Verse 17 of Ephesians 2, he came, Jesus came and preached. He had this announcement, peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. I love the book of Ephesians. It opens in chapter one and verse two with grace and peace to you. You're living under the rule of Jesus. You're living under the authority of God the Father. Then grace and peace is yours. Before the book is closed in Ephesians chapter six, verse 23, Paul would say, peace to the brothers, peace to the sisters, peace to those who love with faith. From This peace comes from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing good news. We can live in him we don't have to live as his enemy in hostility to him. Even though we broke the peace, he's made peace. He is our peace. I wanted you to see the storyline of this idea of peace so that when we are told, okay, as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness of the gospel of peace. I wanted us to have all of that in our mind but now I, I do think we need to appreciate how do we actually bring peace to bear in our battleground in the situations that are so complicated and so complex and the things that we feel like we're fighting and maybe winning some and maybe losing a lot. Where do we bring peace to this? What does it look like 
for us to put on the readiness of the gospel of peace. There are probably many, many places we could go here, but I, I want to give you some ideas of how you might do this, how we might honor this instruction from Apostle Paul. So one thing I think we could do is to take to heart the work that Jesus did for us in bringing us peace. And the words are chosen intentionally. Take to heart, bring it to heart, the work that Jesus did to bring us peace. What I don't know is if everybody has embraced the work that Jesus did to bring you to peace. Because you might actually be a fairly religious person, but never totally embraced a personal savior. You may know facts about the cross, but you never, like it never felt very personally like, oh, I've broken, I've broken the peace. Oh, I'm the one that would be in hostility to God if it were not for Jesus bridging that and bringing us reconciliation. So I do ask, have you taken that to heart? Have you trusted in Jesus? Is it personal? Are you beginning to see this is for you? And if that is you, would you... Would you communicate that? Could we talk? Because I have to think in a room this size, maybe, maybe some things are beginning to click for you. Maybe you're beginning to process things that you've, you've never have seen so clearly before of how this peace that was broken now has been mended as we trust in Jesus. But I also want for those who, who had, do have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to take to heart the work of peace that God has brought to us, the work that Jesus did to bring peace to us. I want you to internalize the fact that God is no longer like an enemy and you are no longer a stranger in hostility with God. I think it's so important that you take that to heart and actually make that a part of your identity because most all of us live in a whirlwind of stuff going on. We live in a whirlwind of chaos And all it takes is a relationship that turns hostile or a bad roommate or finances getting tight or a world stressing us out or pressure at work being too much or life getting a little too complicated. And all of a sudden we hear a message like this and go, peace, what peace? I don't have any peace. Must be nice for everybody else, but I don't have any. And I just want to settle our hearts, reminding us of this, this whole whirlwind of chaos that we might be living in or might be headed toward actually doesn't define us and is not the final word for us eternally. When I remember that Jesus has brought me peace with God, I can say, this whirlwind is very real and I'm probably going to wake up Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday with things that are going to be stressful and complicated and hard. But in the end, as I wake up each one of those mornings, I will not wake up with God on the opposing side. I won't wake up with a hostile relationship with God that I can't repair. I'll wake up knowing he is for me. He is with me. He will never leave me because I have peace with him through Jesus Christ. And then as I think about the future and I go like, I don't see how the next five weeks, much less five years, much less, I don't see life getting any any less complicated or less difficult. If that is you, I will say there is coming a day when new heavens and new earth come and everything is lined up under the rule and authority of Jesus. And on that day, perfect peace. Take it to heart. Take it to heart. 
I think that's one way we can at least like put this piece of armor on. I think another way we can put this piece of armor on is to work to keep the peace that Jesus brought to his church. So we don't, we can't make peace. Like I, I can't bring all of us together. I can't do that. But I do believe as we are in Christ, Jesus has brought us together, all of us. I don't know how many nationalities, I don't know how many ethnicities are represented here, but, but a lot. And that makes me so encouraged because I know Jesus has done what I never could do, what no human plan could do. He brought us together under one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one spirit. And we are, we are in him. He's created the peace. And then we're called to work to keep it means every time you assume the best, not the worst, you're working to keep the peace. Every time we look to like absorb friction so it doesn't derail the mission of the church, every time we're bringing people together, every time we avoid finding controversy, we are bringing things together. We're working to keep the peace. No hostility because Jesus is our peace. We work to keep the, the peace that Jesus brought to his church. Another way I think we can put this armor on is we take God-given opportunities to be announcers of peace, to announce peace. We take the God-given opportunities to announce peace. If I were to say we need to share the gospel more, I don't know that any of us would argue, but a lot of us would find that pretty intimidating. Like some, some people are really good at it. And maybe you feel like, yeah, and I'm not one of those people because I, I, I find sharing the gospel hard. But I wonder if we've reframed it a little bit. And we just thought, actually what we're called to do is make an announcement. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So there's an announcement. And what we make the announcement of is that Jesus has done everything needed to reconcile us to the Father we are called to believe. Are there people in your life that need to hear that message? See, this is what's so amazing at Ogletown is I know there are parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles. And there, there are people that love to tell, even from the youngest age, love to tell their kids that Jesus has done exactly what is necessary to bring us to God. And parent, I do want to remind you, every time you have that conversation, you are announcing peace. You say, I don't have all the right words. I'm not an expert in sharing the gospel. But my goodness, there's got to be some people in our lives that we're going to encounter this week whose lives are going to be spiraling out of control. And what they're going to need is not someone who gets everything absolutely perfect. But what they're going to need is an announcement that God, God has provided peace. And every time you faithfully step up and you are ready with the gospel of peace, bringing it into a situation that needs it. I think of even Chris's prayer and the number of people he prayed for that are going all over the world. And they're doing so because of this kind of desire being, have, like, let's have our shoes ready. I think you don't need passports and plane tickets to do that. I'm grateful for those that go where the gospel has never been heard and I'm grateful for an army of church members to say, Lord, you give me an opportunity. I want to be faithful. I love the picture of feet being ready to move in this passage. It makes me think of one more thing. And that is, I do think we can anticipate and act on ways that will advance peace. 
So yes, sharing the message of peace with our mouths. But there are, I mean, dozens, and we're into the hundreds of people at Ogletown that are going to go to a lot of different places in our area, maybe even around our country, maybe even in this world, in the next week or two or month or next year. And you're going to go into a world where there is anything but peace. And what I love, even as I look through our directory of our church members, I'm reminded of Oh, she volunteers. She gives hours of her time. And it's not about money. It's about her desire to bring peace in very, very difficult places that are anything but peaceful. And then I look and I see the teachers in our congregation and I'm reminded they are at least a, a taste of peace in sometimes for these kids that are in their classroom. They are a taste of peace in a world that is incredibly complicated incredibly messed up, and yet in that place they are encouraging and affirming kids that God has entrusted to them. What an awesome thing. I think about those that are, are caring for the most vulnerable, and yesterday I got to be around one of our church families that are, are caring for uh, foster kids, and so encouraging knowing for these kids, I mean, we don't even want to, we can't even imagine how traumatic life has been for many of them, and yet homes opened saying this will be a place of peace, a place of love, caring for the most vulnerable. And I think about managers and bosses who, with understanding and kindness and confidence in someone, you build someone up when everything else in the world is tearing them down. And I think of moms and dads having conversations and being patient. I think of friends who are steady and stable and listening. And I, I think of workers who are working hard and not gossiping and not slacking. And I think about those caring for aging parents and aging family members. And I just again and again, and I could go on and on and on. And what I see is you actually have like shoes on ready to advance the gospel, the good news of peace. You are bringing peace, saying this is what it looks like when, not perfectly, but when a life is lined up under the rule and authority of God. This is what it looks like. This is what I'm called to do. This is how I'm called to love. And I guess you could just chalk that up to being a decent human being, but I would say much, much more. Christians are motivated in an entirely, entirely different way. Could I bring the peace of God, life under his rule, to one or two interactions each day? And wouldn't that be a good thing? Wouldn't that make a difference in my own battleground and the battleground of others? I'm positive it does make a difference. So church... Make no mistake, we are in a battle. And don't be discouraged, be encouraged because the God of angel armies is on our side in this battle. He has told us to be strong and to stand firm and he has given to us as shoes for our feet a readiness, a readiness to advance the gospel of peace. What I'd love for us to do, normally we end singing. What I'd like for us to do is actually just end quieting our hearts before the Lord, asking for his help, thinking through those scenarios of where we might be a messenger of peace or we might use where the callings that he's given us to advance peace. But maybe just take some time to reflect or maybe settle peace in your heart knowing God is not against me. He is for me and I'm trusting in him and I'm turning to him. So let's, can we do that for a moment? A moment of uh, quietness before the Lord and then Champ's going to close us in prayer in just a moment.
Our Father, we've heard from your word today. We've heard about your rule, your good rule over this world and over our lives, a rule within which we know peace and we know that all is well and will be well. And Lord, we confess to you that in the places where we have lived outside your rule, we have not known your peace. We have known discomfort and we have known stress and we have known your hand pressing us and calling us back into the good that you have won for us through the peace of your cross. So we confess our own willfulness. We're thankful that you have let us feel the minor temporary consequences of our willfulness. That we've heard your voice today calling us back into that peace that you have won for us. Help us to, all of us, take into our hearts the peace that you have won for us through Christ. We pray that we would also have this peace at hand as we go into this week, that we would be messengers and agents of peace and well-being in this world, calling others into the good of your rule over this world and their lives. And Lord, we confess that we are unable to do this on our own and we need you, so we ask for your help. And Lord, I pray today for all of us, I pray your blessings as we go from this place. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. We pray this together in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our peace. Amen. As we go today, spend time talking to one another, encourage one another. As you have time during this week to visit the Battleground website to see the resources connected with this sermon series, I encourage you to do that. Go in the peace of God.